0: This is episode 74 of Mora for March 15th, 2014.
1: Hello listeners, welcome to this latest episode of Mora. I'm Michael Harley.
2: I'm Razie Morris.
1: I'm Eric Skull. And joining us today is our guest, Kevin Bloomfield. Hello, Kevin. Hello. How are you today?
3: I'm doing quite well.
1: Yourself? Oh, not too bad considering it is the Ides of March when we bring this episode out. Ooh. (laughs) So spooky Ides of March. Uh, Kevin, please tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself. Um, What Hogwarts house are you in and, and all of that stuff?
3: Okay. My name's Kevin. I am a Slytherin. Um a third year at The Ohio State University studying Greek, Latin, and history, and it's my intention to pursue a PhD in medieval history, and Harry Potter is one of the holy trinity of fandoms. I follow podcasts, this, Star Wars, and Game of Thrones, so it's, being here
0: is phenomenal.
1: Wow.
2: Guys, he's out-ancienting me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing was all those things were that was so interesting but the thing that really caught me the most was that he's a slytherin because we never have slytherin <laughs> guests <laughs> that's so exciting
1: <laughs> we'll see how a slytherin takes uh this end of this particular book um but before we do we'd like to remind all of our listeners to be sure to have read Chapter 36, The Parting of the Ways, in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which we will be discussing later in this episode.
2: But before that, as we always do, we need to recap our discussion from last week, um, which was Chapter 35. And you guys have yet again blown us away with your amazing discussion. There are so many good posts um, on our site and on our forums that it was simply impossible to whittle it down to a few Um, so we're probably not going to discuss these very much just because they're already so good Um, but make sure you do go to the site and check out everything else that's being written on there because they're just amazing points so we will start off with an amazing um, username as well which is blunts snitches and bar salts (laughs) Um, and it says i agree with the idea of the faux glass working for people in general ownership of it Um, Similar to lending my computer to a friend, it's my computer, but they will still have access to it. Um, If it worked for Moody alone, assuming the faux glass can't be fooled by Polyjuice Potion, wouldn't Crouch Jr.'s face always just appear in it? Moody is in constant peril, while no one knows his dire situation. Assuming the faux glass could be hoodwinked by the Polyjuice Potion, I just still think Crouch Jr. would be constantly present in the glass. Moody is still in constant danger and Crouch Jr. is still Moody's immediate enemy regardless. So basically, the conversation was about whether the the faux glass was owned by Moody or by Crouch Jr. And if so, why the other one didn't kind of constantly appear in the image. Hmm. Um, and there are some brilliant responses to this. Um, one of which being Elvis Gaunt, who says, Probably the faux glass belonged to Little Crouch in the first place. He may have owned it before he went to Azkaban or created it himself before impersonating Moody. To which Olivia Underwood replies, Agreed, Harry and the DA in fact find it in the room of requirement in the next book. Though it was cracked, it apparently was still usable. Why would Mad Eye, or uh, indeed Dumbledore, since I'm guessing Mad-Eye didn't know about the Room of Requirement, throw away a perfectly good faux glass unless it actually wasn't theirs to begin with. Unless, of course, Mad-Eye didn't like the idea of using a faux glass which had been touched by Crouch Jr.'s grubby little fingers. Just a thought.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Well, that's an interesting thought. I think that uh, because Moody is on the mend, um, he may not have had time or cared much to grab any of the, like he said, uh, grab your little fingers were all over that stuff. <laughs> I think it is said in the previous chapter that Crouch Jr. grabbed um, all of Moody's dark detectors and took them with him to school uh, yeah. f- from his location. And, and that, as much as anything, was probably to prevent alerting anybody who would search Moody's place afterwards um, that Barty Crouch Jr. had been there. But uh, still, so I do think it was uh, Moody's Foglass, but he probably doesn't want anything to do with
0: it. Yeah, I think it's Moody's too, because I know this discussion came up uh, a few episodes ago, earlier on in Goblet, because we see all of those dark detectors when Harry first goes to Moody's office, and most of them are actually working against Crouch Jr., um, such as the... the, uh, Oh, what was it? The one that spins. Oh my gosh. Sneakerscope? Yes, or? thank you. Sneakerscope, yeah. <laughs> the like, one that spins. The one that spins. <laughs> um, but but there were, there were, there. were Rowling used a lot of the dark detectors in Moody's office as hints for the reader that something may not be right with uh, Moody. And Moody passes it off as, oh, these are all going crazy because we're in Hogwarts and students are distrustful. Um, but the faux glass is the only one of the items that actually seems to work for him. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, which is, which is the kind of the odd one out. So I would be inclined to say that um, that Crouch Jr. actually did steal it from Moody and that, he, that the faux glass must be either easily tricked by an enchantment so that it can shift owners or that um, it does just get accustomed to whoever's in the presence of it.
2: Interesting thoughts. I don't think we'll ever know this one, sadly.
0: Yeah, unless we get a summary on the faux glass. The funny thing is the faux glass is very like, a very vague explanation we get on how that works. Yeah. So, and we don't see them very often in the series.
2: I think we only, yeah, we only see this kind of a couple of times when we go into his room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's probably not too important as a detail, but it's just a nice thing of that that flash of Dumbledore's angry eyes when the door, ble- uh, door breaks down, um, mm-hmm. which obviously shows that he was... Someone's enemy at that point, at least. Mm -hmm. Um.
3: What's interesting about the faux glass to me is that it seems to be able to see into the future in that when Harry saw Moody in chapter... I don't know, um, for the dragons, when he told um, him to essentially fly, Mm -hmm. he saw the vague outlines of the three shapes. So either time in the Harry Potter universe is deterministic... Or I don't I don't know how it could know Dumbledore, Snape, and Minerva were onto Little Crouch when they themselves had no reason to suspect him.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it seems I always did think it was interesting that it's specifically those three staff members that the mirror mm-hmm. picks early on, because really if you you know, if, if it depending on how the faux glass works in Cratch Junior situation. There's a lot of people who could be his enemy.
2: No, well, kind of,
1: but I mean, you got the headmaster, you've got the deputy headmistress, and then you've got Snape, who is—he's just
2: always there, who is <laughs> always
1: around. But but also a, a former, former deputy yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and somebody who in, and the
2: spy as well. Remember, like he's working,
1: right? He's the that dangerous makes sense. figure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I liken this to book one. Um, with Quirrell, mm. how Snape, Snape, and Quirrell didn't get along at all the entire year, yeah. um, because Snape knew something was up and was interested in 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 being the only former Death Eater or former person who has ties with Voldemort to be currently working in Hogwarts' employ.
0: So maybe it is because McGonagall and Dumbledore are top authority at Hogwarts, and Snape has his history with Crouch
1: that that's why they're specifically pointed out by the Foglass then. And Karkaroff is time and time again revealed to be a, a coward or, you know, somebody who fears, um, reproach or fears capture, you know, for, for, for any of his acts. So oh, he, yeah. even though the movie like really tried to make us think that it was him, um, <laughs> who put Harry in the goblet and all that other stuff, um, in the books, he's just not as much of a, a threat. No, no.
2: Okay. Um, our next comment um is actually me just basically telling you all go t- to go and look at um our audio boo because there is plenty of good discussion happening over there as well. Um and we'd like to say thanks to David from London, who is joining the discussion about the confusion about the Marauders map, um and the fact that there are two barty crouches with the same name, um mm. who both appear on the map and there is no seeming um distinction between the two. Um, So head over to our audio uh, audio feed to take a listen to that whole comment and a few others about this um, last podcast episode. Um, And here's a little extract of that comment itself.
4: Hi guys, this is David from London. I was listening to your last episode and I see a lot of fans seem to be confused about why the Marauders map doesn't differentiate between Barty Crouch Senior and Little Crouch. This is something that never really confused me because... I tended to always assume that the Marauders map doesn't specify names to that degree anyway, because I I may be wrong, but as far as I can recall, the map never actually lists anyone's middle names. Based on that logic, I would say it seems to take a very simple first name, surname approach, and more or less go with their quote-unquote official name, what would be on their birth certificate. You can argue that this is a shortcoming of the map as it was programmed by the Marauders. I guess they just didn't foresee a need to potentially differentiate between two people who have the same first and last name. But yeah, I mean, my point basically is that I can see it being a shortcoming of the map, but I don't think this was an oversight on Joe's part.
2: Thanks very much for that, David. Um, We're not going to comment on that now because there's some amazing points that you guys are making over on the, the site. So do go and check those out. But moving on to a comment from IceBender07, Um, and it says, Everybody keeps um, wounding on about the Triwizard Cup and why it took Harry back to the maze at Hogwarts. Um, I myself simply thought that it was a portkey to begin with. I believe that the Triwizard Cup was always planned to be a portkey to take whatever champion who got to it first back to the front of the maze. Of course, they would only make it so the cup was activated when it was put in the centre of the maze. The problem was fake Moody was the one who put it in the maze and in doing so he placed a second portkey spell over the first. I would assume Dumbledore was the one who placed the first portkey spell on the cup and that fake Moody would have um, had a hard time resetting it and instead just placed a second portkey spell on top of it. So when Harry and Cedric touched Moody's portkey it was activated and sent them to the graveyard and after that the cup became a portkey that Dumbledore meant it to be.
1: This may go a long way to finally explaining, for me at least, the spatial uh, arrival of where, 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 and when they get. Like, how do they get to the front of the maze? Mm. Yeah. Um, in the end, when they come back, like, so I really like that comment. I hadn't really thought about that.
2: Me too. The idea of kind of layered port keys is just brilliant. Well done. <laughs> and our final comment from last week um, comes from Madame Lestrange. Scary Bellatrix. And it says, just saying it in that way, was kind of like, does it really come from Bellatrix? That's amazing. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the discussion about whether or not Mrs. Crouch would revert back to her appearance an hour after her death really intrigued me. Intuitively, I would assume that the body would remain as it were at the time of death. That is to say, if Mrs. Crouch died looking like Little Crouch, that's the way her body would stay. When one dies, aging, um, and many other but not all bodily, fun- bodily functions cease to happen. Thus, why would the body change back to Mrs. Crouch if she died with the physical appearance of Barty Crouch Jr.? To me, the changing from one physical appearance to another seems to be a bodily function, and thus it too would stop happening. I would
1: probably tend to agree with this, um, except for one thing, which I, I think that this issue is linked uh, very much to the issue of Barty Crouch Sr., whose remains have been, you know, transfigured into yeah. a bone. Um, the reason that Dumbledore asks uh, where, you know, the body is buried, um, I think, I believe, is to eventually go back and dig the bone up and then restore it to the corpse that it was for a proper burial.
2: But there is an important distinction to make with that, in that Mrs. Crouch was already transformed before her death, and Barty Crouch Senior would have been transfigured after, after. his death,
1: right? Um, and with specific transfiguration, you're like, well, this clearly, like, this somehow still has properties of what it used to be, um, yeah. imbued in it. Whereas with the Polyjuice Potion, even though that's true, I think it, it is a, it does require the body to be to be living. I think that's, I think that's fair.
2: My issue with this one though is that we know that the Polyjuice Potion wears off, um, and I don't think that it's the actual body that would be the bodily function here I think it would be this the potion that's actually having the function um, so I I believe that the body would revert when the potion wears off um, hmm.
4: Hmm.
2: but I mean if no one's paying attention at that point because it's just this criminal bloke who died in jail and it's only dementors that aren't are like they're blind they can't see you um, mm. no one would notice if one one dead body is a dead body.
1: Well, that that was actually the interesting thing is that um, Mrs. Crouch from last chapter took you know continued to take the polyjuice potion while she was in jail. I guess she just had a really big purse, um, <laughs> really really big handbag with a big flask, a beaker or whatever it is. Um, but you know to to pretty much predict to have an adequate supply um, to the time she died. But the but the reason, as it stated, was to it's the other prisoners if they're ever yeah. watching. Um, as they drag the body, the dead body, uh, you know, to be buried that, um, they would see that it wasn't in fact his mother. So I, I think that that would be, um, like she would have had to have t- t- taken it, but then been sure that they would have, um, removed the body within an hour of its dying. You know, if she was going to Do revert- we know that
2: it only lasts an hour? I mean, the amount. Every the- hour on
1: the hour.
0: Pottermore kind it? of changed that though. There was, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, the addition on Polyjuice Potion here says the effect of the potion is only temporary and depending on how well it has been brewed may last anything from between 10 minutes and 12 hours. That's what I thought.
2: Like the amount that the trio take, um, in, in Philosopher's Stone, Mm -hmm. um, that only lasts an hour is a very small, like they only take like a sip because it tastes so Mm -hmm. bad, if right. she was drinking, like, flagons of the stuff, then maybe... <laughs> <laughs> Give me more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe it lasts longer. We don't know.
1: Um, the, yeah, that's 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 fair. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say uh, about that was that um, in the previous chapter, Dumbledore did say every hour on the hour um, for it. Okay. So even though it's been cleared up later on Pottermore that it can last for longer... Um,
2: that one needed d- to be. Okay.
1: Dumbledore totally expected that... Uh, Crouch would have been so excited yeah. that he forgot to take it in the last hour mm-hmm. and there, and was correct in guessing that he would in fact transform back um, during their interrogation of him, which happened last chapter.
3: And about that, um, just quickly, about Mrs. Crouch, even if it was 12 hours, did some math here, she would need at least three or four gallons, say she lived only three months or even less after she got in. Whereas if she needed every hour on the hour, she would have needed close to ninety gallons of polyjuice <laughs>
1: potion. See, works. We need more PhD candidates here <laughs> uh, on on this show to completely blow holes like ca- cannonball-sized holes in the ship of of JK Rowling. No, uh,
3: not not one yet. Soon. Yes. But. Well,
1: still future. P- surely. Yes, yes man, Surely, you're on your way. Um, but uh, that that's amazing. Ninety gallons, huh?
2: That's well,
0: I think you could, maybe we could also, should, could we assume that, well, no, not necessarily because every, the, the, she turned into Crouch Jr. I was thinking maybe somehow Crouch Sr. could have, uh, been slipping him or her Polyjuice potion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess he wouldn't. Publicly, he probably wouldn't go visit her that much if she right. was disguised as Crouch Jr. So. And
1: she's going there to die. Yeah. And also, um, we do know that handbags can be bigger on the inside, though. You get to keep your handbag when you go into Azkaban. Is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the Dementors can't stop you. <laughs> Maybe you
2: could t- take, like, a thimble-sized cup that's actually, like, gallons on the inside. <laughs> that would be quite cool. Like never she, had a whole,
1: she had a whole uh, Polyjuice laboratory. It's like Breaking Bad uh, in, in a thimble.
3: And, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I but and stuff is quite expensive. So they might not have <laughs> the money.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, those were some great, uh, responses to last week's episode. And with that, we're going to jump into the responses from last week's podcast question of the week, um, where we focused on, uh, poor Cedric Diggory. And in our question, we gave him a second chance at things. Yeah, the question was, let's say by some miracle, some miracle, pick a miracle of your choice, Diggory had (laughs) hidden properly or was somehow spared and survived the whole ordeal and portkeyed back with Harry alive rather than dead. How would this scene have played out differently? Would Cedric be as famous as Harry moving forward in the story? Would Moody still have been caught without the whole trauma aspect of the event? would they have believed them if they weren't a, if there weren't a dead body as proof now would
2: he ever have transformed into a sparkly vampire <laughs>
1: <laughs> so many. Know his contract would have gotten renewed i can answer that right now
0: <laughs> <laughs> so many unanswered questions um but uh for the responses this week a lot of you were saying the same thing so i pretty much took all of your responses and Pulled out the main bullet points from what you guys were saying. So the main one was, uh, firstly, what would would have actually happened in the graveyard. A lot of people did not feel that Cedric would have hidden. He would have tried to help Harry, but would somehow have been rendered unable to do so, i.e. being stunned, blocked, or petrified, etc., since we can't kill him in this situation. Oh, Um, but yeah... (laughs) but he would have tried to help because Cedric is, has shown much bravery and activeness in the series. So everybody was, yes. And people were rather surprised at the suggestion. I think that he would have hidden, um, unless on Harry's orders, but even then, uh, and that Cedric would once upon return, Cedric would corroborate Harry's story of the events in the graveyard. But a lot of you felt that due to his lack of fame in the wizarding community, uh, which would not be boosted, according to all of you, from the night's events due to everyone focusing on Harry. Mm. This would not change the views of Fudge and the Ministry. However, the wizarding public might be more inclined to believe Cedric and Harry, which I thought was interesting uh, that everybody kind of went to the... just a, a lot of the listeners went straight for, oh, yeah, Cedric still wouldn't matter. Um, wow. In that case. You, would you guys agree with that? Because I just thought that was an interesting...
2: Based on the evidence of what we know... From Deathly Hallows, like, it takes them a long time to realize that Ron and Hermione are missing too. Um, mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone would focus on Harry and forget about <laughs> whoever's ri- around him.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've- I don't know, that's that's during a police state, so, I mean, things true. really fall through the cracks because people's entire families are being upended and, and s- submitted for questioning, but...
2: But Harry was still undesirable number one, and... And they, they were his cohorts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think, though, in using what happens in this next coming chapter to inform, seeing how the great lengths that Fudge is willing to go to to deny the existence of Voldemort, after presented with all the evidence and even more that isn't presented or taken, um, that he still doesn't believe it happened, I think it is agreeable that that Cedric would be, um, you know, ignored the same way that Harry is, because the world is just not ready for it at that time. Or the world, I mean, Fudge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: I agree with you, Eric, because if a dead body being Avada Kedavad didn't convince the students with Dumbledore's <laughs> prestige on the line, I don't know what would. Diggory's I mean, death was a tragic accident, Dumbledore um, Umbridge <laughs> says. How? What was the official report on his death anyway? We don't really know, mm-hmm. but it was obvious he was a Kedavad.
1: yes. Which means somebody casts an unforgivable charm. Which means somebody needs a charm. Gosh, it's a curse. Um, <laughs> but that means somebody needs to get arrested because those things are illegal. Yes. Very so true. where's the arrest investigation, huh?
0: Well, yeah, because uh, you know, in, in the in the later chapters, we find out that this doesn't even end up in the Daily Prophet. Fudge manages to keep this out of the Prophet.
1: Um, so, which is pretty well, it's amazing. easy with his star reporter in captivity. Yes, but we'll talk about that. True later. True that. But we'll get the to the
3: only later. reporter it sometimes seems yeah. like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. uh, well, yeah, because the funny thing is, as far as Rita being like kind of the star reporter, until Goblet of Fire, we don't we know never her. heard of her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and none of the articles are specified that we read in The Prophet before that to have been written by her. And there is, there are implications in other, in the other books that there are other reporters working at The Prophet. But I think Rita just gets the kind of the star treatment in this book because she has to mm-hmm. for character development. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is kind of amazing that like all the press, like th- this was managed to be kept out of the daily profit completely. Um, but that does say yeah how in denial fudge is. Uh, but, uh, uh, after the, the night itself, people were saying that, uh, Harry and Cedric would split the prize money from this, uh, from the event, from the Triwizard tournament, meaning that only half of it would go to
1: Fred and George. <laughs> so, it would bankrupt Fred and George. Leave, leave that to to listeners to be saying Fred and George would not be able to get their business oh, off the ground. So because, many people were so much so sadder detailed. about that. Because Cedric because Cedric survived. That's brilliant. I I love people.
0: Well no, it was great. Actually, the the listeners really kind of looked even past where the timeline we were looking at. Um because of course uh this keeping Cedric alive really does strongly change the events of uh, mm-hmm. the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, a lot of people discussed that Cedric would actually join and be a great asset to Dumbledore's army. Some people mm-hmm. even wondered if Dumbledore's army would be started at all because uh, there a lot of that came from Cedric passing. Um, but people said that Cedric would be a great asset because he would be in his seventh year. He would know a lot more spells than a lot of the others. Um, he would be really helpful in that situation. Uh, Cho would remain in a relationship with Cedric, uh, prompting Harry to find romance elsewhere.
1: A lot of people said possibly (laughs) with Ginny, but some people would Possibly. It's such a possibility ever since Joe said that thing in that article. Oh,
0: God. She
2: never said anything. It's so stupid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And overall, Harry would behave considerably different in Order of the Phoenix. People said he would not be able to see the Thestrals. Ooh. Yeah, true. Um, which is a major uh, issue. People pointed out <gasps> that without Sirius seeing, would
2: never have died. Oh my yep. gosh!
0: People said that they his, would never
2: have made it to the Ministry.
0: His rash decisions at the book's end might have been uh, drastically altered because of uh, because of this. So yeah, you're, we're basically asking a question that would completely change order of the Phoenix.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so Cedric is the Ned Stark of the Harry Potter world. He has mm. to die to get everyone. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> uh-uh.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, everyone no, yeah. knows that when it's fine. <laughs> it's it's true though. Yeah, in this, I mean, really, with any of these kind of what ifs that we ask, I think we do so knowing that we are drastically changing. It's, yeah, it's the whole you know, step on a butterfly somewhere in the world and something. Horrible. Tsunamis in Yep. Yeah. Japan. So and then in terms of uh, what would happen, actually, the other big thing was what would happen to Crouch Junior. And people noted that due to the lack of commotion, now that there's no dead body appearing in front of the maze, Moody would not be able to take Harry off the scene um, because there wouldn't be any hubbub to get him out of there. There were various suggestions as to what would happen next. Um, Some people said he might actually transform back into Crouch Jr. in front of everyone (laughs) due to his neglectfulness with the polyjuice potion, that he might be (laughs) discovered later due to Dumbledore's suspicions or that he might have time to compose himself and flee. Um, so there were a lot of yeah. possibilities that he'd make it out and get back to Voldemort, and there were a lot of possibilities that he would still be caught. A lot, of, the majority seemed to agree that he would still be caught, um, since Dumbledore <laughs> was already on to him at that point.
1: Well, if Pettigrew can escape, I'm going to say that uh, <laughs> Barty Crouch <Kraft laughs> can escape. Well, although, I w- you know, to be fair, Dumbledore was quote on to him. Yeah. Um, yeah
2: was he though I mean no. the whole
1: well, not until he takes Harry away,
2: yeah, but he um, wouldn't have taken Harry away if there was no right. dead body to take him away from
1: well, and mm-hmm. I think I think Dumbledore would have remained completely clueless as to how it had happened. I don't know,
0: I thought it was I thought he was onto it because there's that line where and you you don't you, it doesn't the narration doesn't specify, but you get the kind of revelation of who was talking after the fact when Harry first wakes up in the maze and he can hear people talking, and, and moody suggests you know. I should, we should get him out of here, we should take him away, and Dumbledore says, um,
3: no, he should <laughs>
0: stay. And yeah. and then Moody's kind of insistent, and then Dumbledore insists to Harry that he stay because Moody's not listening to him. Mm. Um, so I think Dumbledore did know by that point. I think he had his suspicions. He may not have known the full thing, but I think he knew that something was wrong. Very interesting. So, But we had a lot of great responses from you listeners this week. I Since I... Pulled out all of your points I wanted to shout out to each of you. Uh, we had uh, responses for the podcast question of the week from Archduke Severus, Elvis Gaunt, uh G.I., I don't know if that's Guy or Jai, or so many ways to pronounce that. Uh, G. G. Ooh, very nice. Hadas, Hallows <laughs> Master 97, Hedwig's theme, Jess kalina Laura, Leah McCurdy, Leslie Lovegood, Madame Lestrange, uh Mysterium Scriptor, Olivia Underwood, and Watch Sky 181 You all joined us on the main site to discuss the podcast question of the week. And if you guys want to read their responses in full, make sure and check out the Alohomora main site for those.
1: And that, of course, brings us to the big one, The Parting of the Ways, Chapter 36.
0: Chapter 36. Mm-hmm. Got you. The Parting of
2: the Ways. Oh, sorry.
1: Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listeners at home, uh people who listen to this show know that this is a global reread of the Harry Potter books that we do here on Alohumora and what better a chapter? This chapter really gets to the to the moment where reading this chapter for a second time, reading rereading, going back, really has a profound effect. It is probably the most rewarding reread experience that you can have in a chapter. Uh at least that I recall from recent memory. Um there's a lot of stuff in here like The Gleam of Triumph, and things that come into play later. Yeah, this is an exciting
0: chapter. I'm so glad I got to be on this one, because this this was, you know, it's kind of funny rereading it now, but just when I was rereading it this time, I was kind of sitting there thinking, like, this was the chapter. Yeah. Like, this was the chapter with all the questions that we would be (laughs) stuck with for the next so many years, right?
2: I just have to say one thing before we start, okay? Yeah. Everything's going to change now. Isn't it?
0: God. (laughs) That line. (laughs) You know. (laughs) movie's in general. We'll get there. We will get. I have. God. You guys,
1: the movie viewing. Gonna have so much to say.
0: (laughs) It's gonna be good. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So.
1: Are you guys ready? Oh, we're ready. Yeah. Alright. We're gonna do it. We last left off with Barty Crouch Jr. in Moody's office. Or his his own office, as you say. uh, Having just told the story. Um, A still drugged. Barty Crouch, is now being bound by Dumbledore. Dumbledore does that thing with his ropes and coming out of the wand. He begins to delegate responsibilities to the other people present. Uh, McGonagall is in charge of watching Barty Crouch Jr., uh, even though he doesn't appear to be that much of a threat right now. Uh, He himself, Dumbledore, is going to take Harry to the hospital wing. He tells Snape to get the real Moody uh, and take the real Moody to the hospital wing, and then he tells Snape, to alert the minister of magic cornelius fudge who will most certainly wish to interrogate barty crouch for himself
0: oh most certainly
1: with much, Mo- fa- certain, with, much certain. <laughs> with
0: much fairness and
1: <laughs> it's extremely fair you almost hate
0: how fair dumbledore is in this chapter um, there will be no backwards politics involved
1: in that it, yes, at all <laughs> yes we're not going to subjugate authority it's, well, it's it's really fair though that um, you know they've just heard the story uh, for themselves, and Dumbledore really is doing what's right here in allowing the Minister of Magic to to see this guy. Um,
0: yeah,
2: it,
1: like it, there's it's there's only a question about it because of what happens later, but mm-hmm. f- like from from this side of it, from this side of the event, you're thinking, great, Dumbledore, like you're you're putting the plan in action, like you're you're really affecting like government, you're changing it for the better, like you're doing what's right. Yeah, no, this is Dumbledore kind of at his best. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I remember this the first time reading this. It's always so comforting when Dumbledore goes into action and he knows what he's like he's had this plan in place. So he's like I've had this plan in place for like 5 months now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is one of five different plans that I had. <laughs> oh gosh, and we get that later when he gives uh the Fudge these specific two options. Yeah. Like yeah. where do these come from? <laughs> um, but 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 more on that later. Like but yes, this whole chapter Dumbledore is 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 all about it. He's he's all over it. Yeah. He is He's working. He's zippy, and this is the Dumbledore that we see. We don't know at this point about the Order of the Phoenix. We don't know about you know any of the other stuff he's done in the past. But just seeing him work, mm-hmm. and it's it's really it's really akin to what happened the previous year, where he sets everything up for Sirius's
2: escape. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. He's
1: just on the ball.
2: Mm-hmm. I think this section is what really makes you know the beginning of next book so painful as well, because we've mm-hmm. seen Dumbledore so proactive and so on it and so doing everything that when we find out that Harry has just been abandoned to his emo-ness for the entire summer, we're kind of just like, what happened? Dumbledore was on it. Why have you left this guy behind?
1: Yeah, you're right. It's the contrast. He he totally lets Harry fall by the wayside. Um, and I, I think that is something that's maybe it's meant to be quite jarring because there's a mystery about why he's done it. Yeah. Um, but definitely one of the reasons why I like book four and don't care so much about book five, um, But we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Soon enough. Um, Harry and Dumbledore do leave uh, the office, but Dumbledore says, you're not quite going to the hospital wing just yet. We actually have Sirius waiting for you in my office, Harry. And this is a great way to get Harry to um, comply with – he knows what he has to do. He has to tell Dumbledore – what has happened in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have Barty Crouch Jr.'s side of the story, but we don't actually know anything that happened because Barty Crouch wasn't in the graveyard with Harry. So Harry is really worried about having to recount his story. The idea that Sirius Black is there, though, it is quite comforting. I think even for, even for the readers, you're like, but we get to see Sirius again. This is so nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, He's finally got a
2: family member to sit there and hold his hand. Yeah, the and he does. Happens.
1: Sirius is, is, is great. In this chapter, I think you'll agree. Um, Harry actually has the fortitude to ask Dumbledore about Cedric's parents, uh, who in the book are both there. Yes. Um, And uh, Dumbledore, his voice cracks a little bit, which is the first time that Harry's ever seen that happen. And he says that they're actually, Cedric's parents are with Professor Sprout, who is the head of Michael and I's house, Hufflepuff. Aww. Hey! And rosies. Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, don't you want to be a Hufflepuff with a cool head of house like Sprout? Yeah. Like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> crazy witch. Um, but again, Harry going into Dumbledore's office is not looking forward to recounting the story. Um, Sirius is pale, but nothing much new there. <laughs> um, he, he, he looks uh, pretty much like he did last year. Um, he's had a rough year. I mean, I think he's, he's still kind of been on the run ish. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is excused. The the funny thing for
0: me with rereading this is I realized that every time I've reread this before, like, because she just basically says that Sirius looks pretty much exactly like he did last year. I always picture him like in his Azkaban prison outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Like he never took it off, even though we know at like one point he's in a suit when he talks to Harry. Yeah. But but I've always like what happened like what what was going on in between
1: that he had a suit and <laughs> <laughs> I would have to recall exactly when that is, but, uh, it's one of the times when he talks to Harry in the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely a funny question. (laughs) Um, but we do get the reunion here and, and this is, this is important because Harry does have to recount his story. There's no getting around it. Dumbledore says, I need to know what happened after you touched the board key in the maze, Harry. Um, Sirius immediately jumps to Harry's side. He says, you know, can't this wait? He could, he could sleep on it. He could feel a little bit better in the morning. Um, and and Harry just has this overwhelming sense of gratitude uh, to to Sirius, and and furthermore, when he does recount the story, um, Sirius has his hand on his shoulder, um, you know, the whole time, and he grips his shoulder in all the right moments to really help Harry to coax Harry through telling this story. Which, really, in in terms of what we didn't get to have, the reality with Sirius never, um, you know, Harry never being able to live with Sirius after the end of last book, it's it's really you know small, but substantial, I think, consolation um, Mm -hmm. for the closeness between the two of them that we always want to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, before this happens, before Harry recounts his story, there's a line that Dumbledore has um, when Sirius asks if it can wait. And I'll just – here's a paraphrasing of what Dumbledore says. He says, If I thought I could help you, Harry, for one minute by putting you into an enchanted sleep, I would – but I know better. Numbing the pain for a while will only make it worse when you finally feel it.
2: It's so tragic.
1: This is one of those moments where knowing what happens in the future, or uh-huh. in this case, in the past, is Dumbledore speaking from personal experience?
2: He must be. Yes. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Definitely. I think what uh, what was funny to me on this reread more than any other is that, and maybe it's because I keep saying, I've said this in like three different episodes, but I feel like with age, I'm really starting to get a much clearer understanding of, especially the things Dumbledore says. Um, Because I think when I read this, when I was, you know, because I was about 14 when I read Goblet of Fire and I was just like, no, I'm with Harry. I want to go to sleep. (laughs) Like, (laughs) time to rest. I don't want to talk about it. And I could, I could, I can totally get that from that, that kind of that perspective of that age. But now... Being freshly twenty-five, it's it's funny that I get. I, I actually think Dumbledore's correct here. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was, and the, it's it's kind of amazing to realize just how much these last two chapters are really about Harry getting some kind of catharsis so that he can move forward in his life. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the narration really pushes that. It's really all about Harry kind of balling up his emotions, and then he needs to learn how to move on. Um, and of course, which will take us into the next book and the things that go in there. But go ahead, Rosie.
2: Um, to me, this is also kind of the end of the Dumbledore I like. Um,
0: (laughs) Wow. Rather annoyingly.
2: I I really have issues with what happens to Dumbledore in the next couple of books. Um, Do you
1: think he becomes like, not to put words in your mouth, but does he become pathetic? Does he become too apologetic? Does like...
2: No, the opposite. (laughs) Oh, really? Um, I, I love... The kind of grandfather figure Dumbledore, um, that is this kind of emotional, um, blanket figure, like, like he, um, he's he doesn't want to prolong the pain for Harry by putting him to sleep and then making him feel it tomorrow. That mm. kind of line sums up the Dumbledore that I think I knew from the earlier books, mm. where he is this kind of grandfather figure where he's really looking out for his emotional welfare, and then you know, with, with the the emo summer coming up. From that moment on, he's kind of a very different figure. He doesn't seem to care about Harry's like emotional welfare quite as much, or at least not um, in a way that's as visible to us. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we we later find out that it's kind of because he was feeling too much, almost, and he? he was kind of distanced <laughs> himself, etc. Um, right, right. But knowing his backstory and from the later book kind of jarring with his character that he becomes, um, I I like this Dumbledore. Mm. And I miss him.
3: (laughs) Can I um, disagree completely there? Of
1: course. Absolutely. (laughs)
2: Speaking
3: as someone... you each
1: have to write a thousand words on it. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, Kevin.
3: Speaking as someone who hates Michael Gambon with an undying passion... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think Dumbledore present in books 5, 6, and 7 is both paradoxically the same and much different as the ones we see in 1, 2, 3, and 4. Um, Rosie, like you said in the beginning, I mean, in the end, he does care for Harry. Um, when Harry goes through PTSD in the summer, I mean, A, that's what it is. It is PTSD after seeing this traumatic death of a classmate at such a young age. And also, I think Dumbledore has always been this manipulator, and he's always cared for Harry. Um, his speech ended book five, when Harry is destroying his office. But this Dumbledore, it's wartime Dumbledore. Chamberlain's out, Churchill's in, got to um <laughs> start planning and um, plotting. And Harry, since book one, since he was, mm, no, book two, since Dumbledore had an idea about the Horcruxes, Harry was always a going to be a pawn, a pig to be sacrificed, as (laughs) Snape says in Book 7. And you can like people you're sending to your death as a commander. I'm sure that's a boon so you don't spend their lives wastefully. But Dumbledore says to Snape, Harry will know this is the right thing to do. And Harry agrees. His life is not less than defeating evil incarnate. So... Yeah. This Dumbledore, I think, is fantastic. It's great. You see him outside of Hogwarts being the wizard Voldemort always feared most.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I I agree because I think, you know, uh, the the funny thing, Rosie, when you were kind of talking about how likable this Dumbledore is, as I I thought back to the, the kind of constant ongoing debate about what makes Dumbledore and Gandalf different. And for those of you who have seen the Lego <laughs> movie, not much, but, um, the, 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 you know, a lot of the things, the, one of the main points that a lot of people cite about the, uh, the two of them is that kind of, you know, Gandalf is endlessly awesome. Like, he's just like, Oh, I'm, I'm so awesome. And then I died and I came back and I was even more awesome. And, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I mean, I like, you know, you know destroying hobbits lives because they don't matter but you know otherwise i'm awesome and i have no accountability for that what versus... i wanted
2: to do is change my wardrobe yep
1: pretty
2: much <laughs> went from gray to
1: white it's an improvement but be careful it stains but but versus dumbledore who really
0: realizes that you know despite that he's kind of doing the same thing with you know uh, as you said kevin pig for slaughter putting somebody out there that he ends up you know caring greatly for but this this young man still has to do the mission he's destined for in Dumbledore's eyes he, he realizes he makes mistakes in that in that kind of lead up to that and he really begins to care about harry and he um throughout the later part of the series he's like i made a lot of oopsies um and i regret them yeah. Um, and I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. But I, I feel awful. And I, almo- in a way, almost by the end of it, Dumbledore's like, "I know I'm a horrible person. That's what makes me so great." <laughs> so, but that's
2: what's so jarring to me is like the 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 Dumbledore we see in the the Prince's Tale in Snape's dying memories, mm. um, where it's meant to be kind of going along at the same time as yeah. the Dumbledore we're seeing in these books, and the two just don't match in my head at all. The way that he speaks to Snape in that office describing what's going on and the Dumbledore we see here talking to Harry, just two different people. I can't marry them up in my head. It doesn't work.
1: Rosie, bringing um, bringing everything back to this chapter, um, I think there's enough evidence for me to toe the line between your two theories uh, and and what you guys think, and I'll bring it up in just a moment. Okay. Um, But I I I think it's a very compelling uh, question about Dumbledore and about how well... Um, the, the, you know, the first half of the series Dumbledore and the second half of the series Dumbledore um, mesh. But yeah. uh, it, it, doesn't Gandalf walk away and leave them for like months and months and months and months and months and months and, months and, months and, months and, sure. and do other crap? Pretty much. Well, <laughs> the mm-hmm. biggest like question in the Lord
2: of the Rings is, where's Gandalf? Yeah,
1: because <laughs> I enjoy kind of how Dumbledore is very in the... He he makes all the things happen.
2: Omnipresent.
3: Hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not
2: to. Get on,
3: get too off topic. Um, Lord of the Rings only occurs from October what twenty sixth through March thirteenth, eighteenth. This is very
2: true. Yeah. And
3: he went to fight Sauron at Dol Gordor in The Hobbit. So, just saying, a dragon. He's doing
1: important stuff, but yeah. nobody. It just <laughs> yeah.
3: That don't hate on my bro, Gandalf.
1: <laughs> I was just thinking when he was like at Saruman's palace on the roof for like a year. I don't know. It seemed like a year. I'm surprised, but, uh, having never read, I won't further my questions. Um, getting back to this chapter of the, which is long enough without our, the, tra- <laughs> <Back> <laughs> to um, the right brilliant discussion. So this is, these are the things that this book makes us feel. Um, but, getting back to it, um, Harry begins telling his story, um, and first, he sh- basically has to talk about how Voldemort came to be around again, how he got his body back, and he... He his wound! He This his This involves Harry holding his arm out and showing his wound, um... This is the moment that we've all been waiting for, of course, uh, the aforementioned Gleam of Triumph moment. I really just oh. have to quote directly from the book here because this is important. This goes directly into what we were just talking about, I feel. Oh, yes, please. Harry's quote. He said the protection my, my mother left in me, he'd have it too, and he was right. He could touch me without hurting himself. He touched my face. For a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes, but the next second, Harry was sure he had imagined it, for when Dumbledore had returned to his seat behind the desk, he looked as old and weary as Harry had ever seen him. Very well, he said, sitting down again. Voldemort has overcome that particular barrier, Harry. Continue, please. Um. This gleam of triumph...
2: Lies for
1: me feels feels very much like manipulator Dumbledore. Yeah, saying mm. now he's done it. The Dark Lord has really marked Harry as his equal, or really caused the the two to twine even further. This is this is the Dumbledore that relishes the fact that Harry and Do- and Voldemort are one step closer together.
0: Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Th- I re- I mean, of course, everybody. I'm sure listening is like the line that everybody latched onto for years and years and years, because um, it was so befuddling. I mm-hmm. I remember reading it and just being like, "Why? Why is Dumbledore what, what, even remotely what? triumphant
1: about this? What? Well, there's doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's d- doubt is cast right to it because it's a yeah. gleam of. It's a gleam, which is just uh, a fleeting, you know, kind of peripheral vision of something like Triumph. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, And then he doesn't...
2: It's the thing that everyone in the fandom just clung to. It was the Dumbledore has a plan. Everything will be okay. Of course, Dumbledore has a plan. And then, you know, Half-Blood Prince happens. And we're like... (laughs) Wait a second. Nope. What? But but he had a plan. What?
1: <laughs> but, but, but he doesn't bring attention to it. Immediately he says, oh, so Voldemort overcame that particular obstacle. Oops. Yeah. Okay. He's one step closer to killing us all. You know, that's what it's, that's what he says. But what he's thinking is clearly something completely the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he doesn't call attention to it, uh, to Sirius, who's immediately right there holding Harry, that Harry's there and he doesn't call attention to it, really is troublesome. And this is why I think he does mesh with the later Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Um, it could just be that it's the end of the book, and there was no other way that Joe, in one year, could write any other words uh, into this book, the same <laughs> that she had the previous books, you know, and doesn't want to get into it at this part in the story, because there's obviously quite a bit left to happen, even in this chapter. Um, but still, the fact that Dumbledore hides it, I think, would... would Would go more to say that he's almost enjoying himself uh, in an inappropriate way that he shouldn't, um, except to say that he has a plan. Oh Um, yeah,
0: I think because I mean, Dumbledore even kind of says that in later
1: books that he,
0: and you kind of feel it from the way that he talks about how things progress. He's kind of just like, "Oh, good, very good, very glad that this horrible, horrible
1: thing happened." Yeah, exactly. So, Rosie, (laughs) does this change? Does this change your idea at all? Like or how you feel about the previous Dumbledore meshing with the later ones? Because I think it starts to happen here very obviously. Yeah,
2: it does start to happen, but it doesn't make me any happier about it. <laughs> yeah, she still doesn't. She still doesn't like him. <laughs> fair enough. Hey, hey,
1: fair enough. I think for, I've been one who picks and chooses books for ever since the last one came out. So um, <laughs> there is there is that um, now. Harry is talking, uh, he continues the story, and of course, after he regenerates, there's the part about dueling Lord Voldemort. And this is where Dumbledore kind of shocks everyone, um, because Harry is talking about the wands connecting, and Sirius interrupts. He's like, well, how does that work? And as it turns out, Dumbledore is an expert on this phenomenon of Priori Incantatum. He just stands up and he lays down exactly how it works. Um, which I'm shocked about because I I didn't realize it was... I mean, I certainly don't think it's common, but he's basically able to tell uh, exactly what happened. Now, we learned something new. We knew that Voldemort and Harry's wands were made up of the same core, that it's a phoenix and that it's the same phoenix. We find out that it's Fox, um, which is a huge deal. This is the first time it's mentioned that that's, in fact, Fox. And really, the biggest question I have on this is, how is it that Fox came to be in the employ or on the donors list? I mean, was he short of cash or something? And they're like, cash for your phoenix tail feather? (laughs) Um, You know, what exactly? What circumstances caused Fox to give uh, tail feathers for to, to become wands? And furthermore, why only two? And you know, why only these two? You would think that phoenixes wouldn't be common enough that Ollivander would just be like, okay, I'll take two, and then I won't ask you for any more. Like, it's a phoenix. You should take as many, you know, as you can, a little bit more, if you're making wands for the entire wizarding public, for all of London.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe they only, like, drop feathers very, very occasionally, and those <laughs> just happen to be the only two that he's ever lost.
0: Well, it's been made kind of clear on Pottermore that wand cores. It's particularly the wand cores that Ollivander pursues because he says on Pottermore and he very strictly believes that those, the three he uses, unicorn, unicorn hair, phoenix feather and dragon heartstring are like the ones that he has found are the best mm-hmm. wand cores to use And that. If you use anything else, you're stupid. He makes that very clear. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, he says that, but, <laughs> but a phoenix would, would be an, um, a phoenix would be an almost unending, source of tail feathers because they burn they die and then they come back Um, yeah so fox would have sent fox would be like able to supply ollivander with a lifetime supply in fact everybody who has a phoenix tail feather (laughs) wand it could have come from fox but it's only two which i think is just weird and not because it's like clearly it's part of the story that their brother wands and they can't do battle with each other Mm -hmm. but but really like why why would it have to be fox what what does this matter this is like making snape the man who overheard the prophecy of that Trelawney gave and being the one who betrayed Harry's parents. I thought it didn't need to happen. It could have been anybody. Why did it have to be Snake? Well, it's I, it's forcing something here. I mean, I realize there's two separate arguments there, but, but ultimately, like, what is the relevance that it was Fox and why are there only two feathers? What were you going to ask, Kevin?
3: First off, are we sure that Fox has only given two feathers? I mean, Harry duels Malfoy, Voldemort anonymous death eater less than half a dozen people i'd say throughout the course of the series there's a couple thousand wizard and or witches in the uk alone so maybe it's just he's never duelled anyone who has another phoenix tail feather from fox
1: i was uh kevin i was looking for the quote in uh goblet of fire it it isn't stated specifically but um in the sorcerer's stone movie <laughs> Oh. <laughs> um, and it may be a quote from the first book as well uh the, the phoenix whose tail feather resides in this wand, gave another feather, just one, yeah, you other. say just one other yeah, that is particularly um referenced by the war doctor of all people, <laughs> um. yeah no, I think that's a there's a lot of great questions
0: like one of the questions that comes up for me is you know when Uh, Did did Dumbledore own Fox when the feathers were taken for Voldemort's wand? Because that was a long time
1: ago. Um,
2: This time, maybe it's like Dumbledore gave two feathers, um, like when Tom Riddle's wand was made, and then they realized who like, got the wand, what he was doing with it, and said, Alright, folks, I'm not doing any more tail feathers. No more evil wizard wands from you <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only evil wizards seem to like your feathers, Fox. You shouldn't give any more. You'll encourage them. I imagine that Olivander I
0: mean Olivander surely knows Priory and Kintatum. I mean, he knows a lot about how wands behave yeah. as evidenced by Deathly Hallows. He probably intentionally doesn't take cores from the same animal very often in the for this case, for this reason
1: Alone, probably. So so that as many people can battle as many people as possible.
0: Well, yeah,
2: I mean, (laughs) otherwise, because
1: that's what wizards do use. You can see how that would be valuable, actually.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, So that's really odd, actually. Ollivander seems to make it harder on himself. Uh, Well, I mean, if he's
2: only ever picking three types of one core, then there must (laughs) be more phoenixes than we've seen. It can't just be one.
1: It's exactly, hard being a wand maker. because they, they, they can't do battle with – and that's what this whole thing is that Dumbledore explains is these wands cannot do battle uh, with each other. But knowing that it's Fox and that Fox is under the ownership or under, under the protection or care of Dumbledore really ties Harry and Voldemort together and then Dumbledore together. Oh, yeah. It's – the three of them have their fates entwined even greater for this little, simple, very little fact. Yeah, I think
0: it's just that's... that it's
2: that magical number three comes up so many times. Three, seven—they're all in there.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the answer to that question about why, why Dumbledore, why Fox. Like, as far as the—I mean, it's really powerful symbolism as far as the story goes for that. That Dumbledore, Dumbledore pulling the strings, Dumbledore being such an integral. Uh, player in the survival of either Harry or Voldemort. Um, Mm -hmm. Very important to, I I think it's a really, it's a nice little detail. I loved it. I think the thing that kind of unnerves me is the part when Dumbledore says, and then Ollivander immediately wrote me a letter right after you left the shop. (laughs) It's like, wow, he's just been under constant surveillance, hasn't he? Um,
3: Also, there's another domesticated Phoenix in the Harry Potter universe. Um, I just found this out. His name is Sparky. He is the Phoenix mascot of the New Zealand um, oh, yeah. team, the <laughs> Mutuhora Macaws.
1: Ooh, that's a Maori name if there ever was one. Yeah.
3: So, I kind of lost a lot of respect for Dumbledore, knowing that he had a Phoenix that was a pet. And t- when I saw a Quidditch team had the same thing. So <laughs> that you know. any Quidditch team can
0: domesticate a phoenix. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're, a, but, they're a pretty I big mean,
1: deal, guys.
2: The, the phoenix feathers link these three characters in a key way that is linked to the Hallows, in my view. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you've got... Okay, so Hallows, you've got wand, cloak, and stone. Out of these three figures... The wands are obviously a massive connection. Two of them own wands with the feathers from the other person. You've got all three of them having, you know, traumatic family experiences um, with deaths of families, either losing parents, losing siblings, possibly by your own hand, and (laughs) losing parents by your own hand. They've all got kind of similar stories that are all connected to some aspect of the Hallows. So it's just, it's another link between the three putting them as the three brothers mm-hmm. in my wow. kind of metaphorical way. And, and Dumbledore
1: view. is always compared to a phoenix and it's not just because he owns a phoenix or has a phoenix but people I think I remember you know speculating before the books came out people were like is Dumbledore like an anim- animagus phoenix or people consistently say his patronus his patronus is- oh is that confirmed his yeah. patronus is a phoenix yes mm-hmm. that is confirmed okay there you go um and and so his connection to the phoenix really also ties him into the other things that are happening which is that um The priori cantatum felt or or Harry felt he heard Phoenix song yeah. um during the Priorian cantatum, which may have more to do with the fact that it came from Wands, whose core was yeah. a phoenix um but still it ultimately it really ties together Voldemort with the only one he ever feared with the only one who could destroy him either can live while well, the other thing so, the three, <laughs> the three of them, yeah, the three of them <laughs> are really really entwined. Um, But, you know, really, so the story with Prairie and Cantatum is that um, brother wands cannot function properly or will not function. They will not work properly against each other. If forced to do battle with each other, uh, one of them will make the other regurgitate past spells. The other one will start throwing up. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Because the thought of uh, fratricide simply This <laughs> It is appalling, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the funny um, thing,
0: too, just a note, we'll get more into <laughs> it later, but of course, out of all of this discussion from these lines, the only thing in the movie we get is, priori in cantatum, and nothing beyond. <laughs> 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 I just had to point I'd out have a how quick question. Finishing. Yeah, go on.
3: Okay, we know they cannot directly duel. That's well-established, but... Mm-hmm. I doubt y'all have read the Dresden files, Mm, probably not, but you can't directly kill someone with magic, but you can use a third-party medium as the intermediary, so could Voldemort or Harry, say, send a giant tree or rock or fire at them, something that's not pure unalloyed magic?
0: Mm. Uh, You know, I, I imagine they probably could. But that defies the rules of dueling, and mm. and Voldemort, I think because he's so <laughs> crazy sociopathic, there's this he had like we see in that scene he has this kind of bizarre need to conform to the rules, almost in mm-hmm. a way to humiliate Harry. Um, yeah. So I don't think because Voldemort never cheats in his dueling, he's pretty, he's he's bizarrely fair. Except when he says, like, stun him and 15 Death Eaters, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, most often, when he's dueling Harry face-to-face, just him and Harry, The he, I mean, the, the unfair aspect is, of course, that Harry's not as proficient in spells as Voldemort, but mm-hmm. I don't think Voldemort... I mean, even in Dumbledore and Voldemort's duel, there is still this odd respect for we do not use outside factors. We strictly use what we can cast from our wands. Like the only time Dumbledore uses something else in the Ministry is to get, enchant the statues to protect Harry, but he doesn't use the statues really against Voldemort. So, yeah. it's it's it's. I think that's more to the respect of the dueling culture and wizarding culture, I guess. So, but I think you could. I mean, if Harry just, you know, Wingardium Leviosa the tree on top of Voldemort.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but that wouldn't um, be any or, fun.
1: Or in the case of Lego games, just se- severely aguamentized Yes, uh, some grass that <laughs> grows up into a bush, and and then you know, he'd throw it at him, and tons of money would come spilling out. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if he had one of the several score multipliers on. Yes, um, my girlfriend loves that game, uh, but. Uh, Every, every time I go into the other room, she's playing it. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> on to more serious um, matters. Yes. Serious back matters. On to, uh-huh. Back on to more serious or Cedric matters. Uh-huh. Um, Sirius says that Cedric was a ghost. Or he, he asks this question who or what exactly are these things that came out of the wand? And it's not clear. Sirius like calls him a ghost, but then Dumbledore stresses that they're not ghosts. Um, he calls them shadows, uh, or echoes. He actually calls them echoes first and then later says shadows, Mm. um, for the wand that these, these beings and Harry says, you know, he asked me to take his body back. And, um, these people who came out of Voldemort's wand spoke to me. Um, and you know, there is some stuff that's interesting in, in this book about the quotes specifically that, um. Uh, it, it's, it's questionable. Well, I, I think, cause we talked about this on a previous episode mm-hmm. and
0: the, the, the viewpoint I took, and I kind of feel it even more with this reread is that Dumbledore's not telling the whole truth about what they were. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I, th- I think that what he, what Harry saw from Priory and can him, dare I say it is pretty much what you would get with the Resurrection Stone. See, I wanted to compare
1: those two, but I didn't... because the way that Dumbledore shrugs it off here... I think He says that they, that they like would have some of the essence. Yeah. But that and he makes them sound like photographs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like, he, he makes... The way he describes them kind of sounds more akin
0: to what we get as a description of the moving portraits... in that they're literally just an imprint that have certain knowledge and that informs how they behave but they can't really go beyond that. And it, it, to me, it's always been, I, I always felt that Dumbledore's explanation kind of devalues Harry's experience in that respect, mm-hmm. because I remember just the, the first time reading this, the fact that Harry really does get to actually see and talk to his parents for the first time Yes, is just mind blowing. It was always mind blowing to me reading it. It was such a, a dramatic
1: emotional moment. And then Dumbledore's just like, it uh, didn't really mean anything. Yeah, yeah well, he, he, okay, here's the quote for the book, and listeners at home, you c- you can decide if this um, adequately fills the, the void in your heart from having seen his parents. Um, <laughs> Diggory came back to life, question mark, said Sirius sharply. Uh, no spell can reawaken the dead, said Dumbledore heavily. All that would have happened is a kind of reverse echo. A shadow of the living Cedric would have emerged from the wand, am I correct, Harry? He spoke to me, Harry said he was suddenly shaking again the the ghost cedric or whatever he was spoke an echo said dumbledore which retained cedric's appearance and character i am guessing other such forms appeared less recent victims of voldemort's wand um so like he is downplaying yeah. um but but it can't just be their character Right? Can it? Because specifically, you know, James said to, or Lily said to uh, Harry, you know, your father's coming, or mm-hmm. he said it the other way, your yeah. mother's coming next. Whatever it was, based on and that. and the yeah. listeners have been talking about it on the site. And like I said, we've already talked
0: about this on the show, but I'd, mm-hmm. I, I and <laughs> I, I almost worry it, as far as me kind of just you know constantly going on about my views i feel like i'm i just i'm just being biased towards what i want from the text rather than what's really there (laughs) but i don't know i i just kind of feel when you factor in the resurrection stone and how it affects dumbledore later and you know kind of the temptation of the resurrection stone for him Mm -hmm. i just i wonder and and the and if you also factor in kind of the temptations of the mirror of erised Mm-hmm. I do wonder if Dumbledore isn't being completely truthful, because we already know now that he's not being completely truthful about other things, some um, certain gleams of triumph in somebody's eyes. So
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just wonder, I, 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 unfortunately there's really not much in this
1: point in the text mm-hmm. to pull out uh, other than. Well, there's, there's an even bigger revelation, I think, which is even more profound than whether you know whether these guys were ghosts or not mm-hmm. um or the spirits cuz well would the spirits then be stuck in the wand like the whole time after he killed them cuz I'll, I'll just get on to what i'm going to say next which is that the wand in order for all of these creatures in or or uh, beings mm-hmm. in order for all these people to crawl out of Voldemort's wand uh not just you know Bertha Jorkins Frank Bryce and Cedric mm-hmm. who have been killed in this book uh for Lily and James to also come out of that wand, mm-hmm. and these spells, are, you know, the, the dueling of the wands is forcing them to regurgitate past spells. For Lily and James to come out mean that that is, in fact, Voldemort's wand that he had the night he killed uh, Lily and James. Um, there's there's yeah. no other way for it to happen. And, and, and so the big question is, and this is a quote from a couple chapters ago, the Death Eaters, you know, Voldemort describes himself as this pathetic being that couldn't even carry a wand. Um, He was so pathetic. He was barely alive, but he was alive. It was life, uh, he says. If he could not carry a wand, how does Voldemort have his wand? Who got it? Who went and grabbed it from the wreckage?
0: (laughs) We we discussed this in our previous episode. Um, Of the Potter's Mm -hmm. House. Yeah, this this was answered by Rowling, I believe, in her interview with uh, uh, Melissa and Ellie in 2007, right after Mm -hmm. uh, Deathly Hallows came out. I I'm don't quote me on that but I believe that was the interview but uh she was asked uh w- how did Voldemort get his wand cuz he couldn't even hold one and uh Rowling answered that uh, Wormtail went to the Potter's house after it was destroyed and got the wand in mm. hopes that he could curry favor with Voldemort um now I mean a lot of people are just when they hear that explanation they're like oh, okay
1: yeah, it's bad, because where would he keep it for the 13 years when he yeah. was the Weasley's pet? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know? And there, that gets into kind of complicated stuff
1: Complicated stuff with Animagus and how that yeah. works, but um, which he hasn't. Well, if, jo- just... if Joe has provided an answer, however lackluster he us, I won't dwell on it, you know? I'll just be like, that's cool. It's like the thousand students at Hogwarts. You're just like, uh-huh.
0: And moving on. Oh, fumbled for. Fumbled for. Fumbled for. Um,
1: so Dumbledore seems to think that if the connection had been maintained, um, even more people would have showed up out of, out of Voldemort's wand. And that just really raises the question for me, are they spirits? These, these beings, because really, if it's, if it's a regurgitation of spells, it really just should have been a bunch of death curses that shot out of the wand, um, yeah. not necessarily Why the are they s- shadows
2: of the people that they killed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Not, not the people who had been killed, not any reflection of them. And so maybe it's because the wand is extinguishing life that the imprint of the life it extinguished is in the wand, but it just seems weird that it's, that a wand would store any of that. You know, I think in, that's, in the-
0: I think that's the specific magic of prior incantatum.
1: I almost wonder mm-hmm. if you were just to
0: like, if you just did the regular old prior incantato spell like Diggory does at the beginning of the book Mm -hmm. um, on, on uh, Harry's wand. Like if I don't think a actual, you know, conscious living being would pop out, I think there would be some other kind of representation of vada kadavra. because the, the reason that the souls come out is specifically to play a role in this duel. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Well, they have agency.
0: They're the ones who say, we're going to distract him Mm -hmm. while you get away. Yeah. And I don't think if you just did a regular old, prior incantado, that that would happen. I think it's just a, an, a freak occurrence because this is a freak spell that does not Mm -hmm. happen very often. So.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, well, you know, as much as Harry regretted going into it, uh, there's a very brilliant piece of wording where it says that, uh, in telling the story, Harry felt that a poison had been extracted from him. Um which is great. His story time is over. Harry's done telling the story. Um, <laughs> I just... <laughs> sorry. I just yeah. have to point out.
0: <laughs> story time over. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's in the... Well, because even though this story has like, been lived before, because we, we not only saw the chapter, but he had to tell these guys, and it gets told later, uh, or what he experiences with Barty Crouch is told serious. It's a lot of reliving the same events. Yeah. But it doesn't get boring. No. Like re- reading it in, in quite the way that you would expect it to by now.
0: I No, no wonder. I mean, no wonder, though, it was that Rowling considered Goblet such a challenge because, you know, you do have all these points where Harry has to keep continuously recounting his story and she has to keep it interesting for us. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and she does. So. Yeah, she 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 has different characters who can actually add new understanding. Yeah. Each, each and every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I think it's, you know, just brilliant um, on that part. And Dumbledore says to Harry, in a non-patronizing way, I think he really does mean it, um, again, that Harry has has done all they can ask of him. Uh, And he says to Harry that he's faced a grown wizard's burden and found himself equal to it. And that he has now done and survived as much as the people who first faced Voldemort. Mm -hmm. Um, would do. And this is huge for, for Dumbledore to equate Harry to, you know, having the bravery and courage of the people who went up against him in the war last time, including Harry's own parents.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, it's, I I think you're, you're right, Eric. I mean, Dumbledore's always, I think when it comes to that, Dumbledore's always being honest. Here's one case where Dumbledore is fully honest
1: and not hiding anything. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody remember this, write this down, tattoo it in yourself so. do Praise. We It's the only time.
3: Only see him lie that one time in Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone about the mirror
1: of Iresid. What do you see? And he says socks. Mm, like a flat out yeah, lie. Yeah, all the other
0: he
2: really did like socks.
1: <laughs> I, I don't I
2: think
0: I think it's more Uh, like in in the case of Dumbledore, there's not so much lies perhaps as maybe truth by omission. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. there's, he's just not always telling the whole story.
1: Oh yeah, well you know in the case of the socks too like or the Mirrever said like Harry even feels then that it's not really the truth. Mm-hmm. Um but he is way too young to be questioning <laughs> this much authority and Dumbledore has a way of finalizing the finality of his tone and says you can't ask me that question again. Was it
3: yeah. so, one of you who said that um, when you did this chapter a couple years ago for
1: a Stone. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. Don't hold this against me. What did I say? No, it was one of you. No,
3: it's good. It's good. It's one of you who said, like, Harry, that's a pretty impertinent question to ask an authority figure. What's your deepest, most <laughs> non-expressed <laughs> desire in the whole wide world? Yeah, come tell an 11-year-old
0: boy. <laughs> you know? Well, it wouldn't have been Eric or I, because we weren't on the show officially yet.
1: Oh, yeah. But... Uh, I remember that that's that's very good that you brought that up, Kevin. Because I I I I well, remember that in the air of reciprocation because they're equals. It's like show me yours to show you mine, like the <gasps> oh, okay. the dark mark and um, the blood thing in the, in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really just about reciprocity, and Dumbledore treats Harry like an eleven year old, which he is, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, moving on, Harry finally makes it to the um, hospital ward, which is where. Bill, Ron, Hermione, and Molly are waiting for him. And Madame Pomfrey is looking badgered. And just the way that J.K. Rowling writes expressions on on her all the time are constantly enjoyable. Um, She has a harassed look because people are wondering where Harry is. And Harry comes in. She probably gets asked that a lot. (laughs) where's Harry why isn't he here he is the hero of this story after all (laughs) hasn't he been injured recently how often do you see him (laughs) Um, you know all that junk Um, but Dumbledore is able to put everybody at rest he says you know Molly no more questions um harry needs his rest now i basically he says i got everything i needed out of harry and you guys can't have any more because he's tired (laughs) Uh, sorry guys i've tuckered him out for you thanks bye harry um he does say that he will be back after he has spoken with fudge um but that's more of like a checking up on i'll make sure you're sleeping well kind of thing because he has madame pomfrey administered this, this potion or she doesn't administer it if she administered it the chapter would be over, <laughs> um, but right right here. Um, but as it happens, Harry manages to take a few drops of what is supposed to be an entire vial. Um, but Harry awakes uh, shortly after the series of the first events because there's arguing outside the corridor, and even though his sleep was peaceful, it was very, very short-lived. McGonagall and Fudge are arguing, and and Harry has never seen McGonagall lose control the way she does with Fudge, but they're arguing about something, and we find out what it is, Dumbledore comes in, he hears the argument, Dumbledore and Fudge have not talked yet, but what has happened is Fudge was grabbed by Snape, and Snape, as he was told to, tells Fudge about Barty Crouch Jr. He says, we found the Death Eater responsible for these events. Fudge requests that a Dementor from Azkaban be summoned uh, to his side in, in, in a, a way of protecting him as he goes into the castle. And this is a huge no-no for McGonagall. She says, Dumbledore, if Dumbledore were consulted, he never would have let a, a Dementor on these grounds. Um, but Fudge says, as Minister of Magic, it's my right to have protection where I see fit. So they go up to the tower, and as soon as the door is opened, in almost a way that's not controllable, by Fudge, the Dementor goes straight over to Barty Crouch and administers the Dementor's kiss, um, sucking his soul out. Now, going into this chapter, I was going to suggest that Fudge already knew what to expect with Voldemort being returned, and as part of this vindictive plan to completely deny the existence of Voldemort, he purposefully brought the Dementor uh, to the room. But now I'm thinking, after reading this chapter again that Fudge really just is that inept, and almost not realizing the full weight of what he was doing allowed the Dementor um, to, to see the prisoner. Um, the remaining burning question I have, though, is with this Dementor and sucking Barty Crouch's soul out, we can play this one of two ways. Either the Dementor was so hungry for Barty that uh, you know, maybe he felt he uh, some retribution uh, because Barty Crouch had had was supposed to have died and didn't. That he, as an Azkaban guard, uh, felt some need to purge Barty from this world, um, or secondarily that, as an ally to Voldemort, he was silencing Barty from ever speaking again and revealing his crimes, and the intricate secrets of Voldemort's web. Mm. I almost think
0: that's, like, because Dumbledore states later in this chapter, of course, about how the Dementors will behave once Voldemort kind of, you know, addresses them and whatnot. I don't think that, I, I wouldn't say that the Dementors are that aware yet of the plan, mm-hmm. just because they are they haven't been informed as far as we know mm-hmm. there's no textual evidence as far as i recall um i think that it was literally just like hoo soul nearby defenseless soul <laughs> time for dinner <laughs> and uh, the the thing that i think that that surprises me is that mcgonagall mcgonagall could probably cast a proficient Expecto patronum why didn't she just patronus it out of the way well can
2: she because- i imagine it just happened too quickly
1: mm-hmm. it was just too fast as soon as the door opened it was uh, uh, that's uh, awful <laughs> i think i think it's possible mcgonagall was so in shock that she failed to act but also i would consider the idea that she maybe didn't know i had a cast of patronus i mean I, oh no she clearly, does maybe the next year it becomes a bigger deal when they communicate that way but well because she was in the
2: i thought minerva was in the order The first yeah she was time in the around. original
1: order
0: wasn't she or, no. If
1: she was, does that mean she knows the Patronus? I well,
0: know that, that it's the yeah.
2: Order communicate with each other she through would, the yeah. Patronuses. If she was, okay. she would
1: have had to know. So, so she failed to act, um, and she and McGonagall is the one who was guarding Barty. And since since it was Snape who got him, then it makes sense that the Dementor would have actually have gone past Minerva physically mm. to get to Barty. Excuse me, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am, said Jim the Dementor. (laughs) Um, So, guys, the worst has happened. Um, We know that Barty Crouch will never be able to testify again. Uh, Much like the situation at the end of last year with Pettigrew's escape and the fact that Remus would be heavily doubted, um, there appears to be an exact same situation happening where nobody is going to believe and the person who, you know, foremost could have brought to light these accusations and the fact that Voldemort is alive and around is now been extinguished. A big argument happens with Fudge and Dumbledore. It's it's pages and pages long, and we won't get too much into it. Um, but we talked before about Dumbledore having a plan, and after it becomes very clear to everybody in the room, which is the other thing. This is not a private conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, Fudge disregards everything that Dumbledore says, Crouch said. McGonagall and Snape, who were both there and also heard Crouch's story, um, are also disbelieved by Fudge. Dumbledore says, here's what you have to do, um, minister. He says, these are two things that you need to do. And he actually has he lists them. The first thing is get the Dementors out of Azkaban. And he makes a really compelling argument here. He says that Voldemort can offer them work that is much more suited to their powers and pleasures than you can. Um, and Fudge doesn't even know what to say to this. He's like, that kind of makes sense. Um, but I'm ignorant. (laughs) And the second thing that Dumbledore suggests is is to send envoys to the Giants. And now Fudge just takes the mickey out of him. He's just like, oh, envoys to the Giants. Next thing you know, you'll be having me wear no clothes to my job. You're absurd. (laughs) Ah, Dumbledore. Um, completely blown out of proportion. Completely ridiculous. Fudge is... Being told what, everything that we know about Fudge from like the supplementary texts about um, Fudge sending owls to Dumbledore to ask him what to do, you know, all, all mm-hmm. this backstory that we know from either future books or the supplemental texts really comes to a head here, um, where Dumbledore is finally telling him. He says, "This is what you need to do in order to be remembered the right way in history. Because if you don't, you're going to be remembered as the man who stood who stood aside." And there is you know the chapter's sake, parting of the ways happens between Fudge and Dumbledore here because Fudge sees them as being on opposing sides and mm-hmm. Dumbledore and all Dumbledore wants all Dumbledore wants at all is for people to be notified and measures to be put in place to prevent Voldemort from gaining the same amount of power that he had last time, and I don't think what Dumbledore's asking for is that unreasonable
0: Oh no, it's not not at all. it's just that as Dumbledore says fudge is too in love with his office he yeah he's it, it's not that i i i think fudge fudge is conscious that these are very good ideas but he doesn't want to be he he doesn't want dumbledore to get the credit for them and dumbledore's even saying don't give me credit take it all mm-hmm. for yourself just make sure everybody's safe and fudge is like you want my office oh my god <laughs> i'm gonna go to work with no clothes tomorrow because of you and as you said <laughs> Eric. Yeah. and it, mm-hmm. it's it's fudge just isn't being rational is all he's he's kind of gone crazy like and the the funny thing is having you know the the first few reads when i was younger and harry even notes it in the text is that you know that that fudge was kind of a kind of one of the ancillary paternal figures like he wasn't a direct father figure but he was the one who would swoop in and be like Oh, never mind, Harry. You're absolved from the law, <laughs> and and now he's that's not the case at all anymore. But the funny thing is, rereading it this time, you really see that Fudge was this way all along. He yeah. he would always do, and this is something I've kind of seen people do in life. But it's the, it is really the choice, as Dumbledore is wont to say, between doing something that's easy and something that's right, because um, mm-hmm. easy. Like the 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 thing that's right is very rarely the easiest thing to do. Um, I think that's just I think Rowling has kind of tapped into that fact in these books, and Fudge is not one to take the 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 hard way. Um, it's he's all he's completely going on the basis of Voldemort can't be back because if he does, that means a heck of a lot of work for all
1: of us. But this work, in the end, I think the ends would justify the means. I mean, the lives that are saved, and and I know nobody's arguing this point, but just the the fact that so few people would have died um, had Fudge been, it makes me question whether or not they should have tried harder, and not in words. But even though they don't have Barty Crouch anymore to testify, Mm. each of the people in the room, Harry and Snape and Dumbledore and McGonagall, all have identical memories. Why didn't dumbledore just pull out his pensive i imagine he carries it with him. it's a port of pensive it's useful for more than one <laughs> thing to do long ago. um why doesn't he just pull it out but honestly though we know from book six that memories can be tampered with or whatever mm. bs but if the four of them just stood right there and pulled their memory out of their head and showed it in in the non-judgmental non-changing you know the most uh definitive what's the word Uh, non-subjective way possible as the format of the pensive. Objective? Yeah. Uh, uh, The most objective? Eh. Yeah. Form of the the pensive that Fudge would have seen for his own eyes Barty Crouch giving his um, you know, whole tell-all Thing and and if he claimed that there had somehow been enough time for one of those guys to manipulate their memory, he could just as easily take the remaining three memories of the three people that are also in the room who also saw that happen. I mean, that is definitive. You can still prove beyond any doubt that what happened actually happened. And
2: even if you want, he's just he's sticking his head in the sand because if it's true. And, you know, you kind of have to expect that maybe he does believe it at some level, he just doesn't want to. Um, He's basically going to be the Minister of Magic that let Voldemort come back for a second time. So he's avoiding that situation more than he's avoiding anything else.
1: I just think that somebody should point that out to him, that he's already the Minister of Magic who allowed Voldemort to come back. That's already who he is. but no
2: one knows that yet, and no one will know if we can prove, like, if we can get rid of the... Barty Crouch situation. I, I think
0: that, mm. l- as far as the, the the memories go, we essentially get that with Snape rolling up his sleeve and saying, "There, there's yeah. the Dark Mark. Here is definitive proof. I will here here am here I am explaining to you the inner workings of
1: Voldemort's circle. Like this is
0: definitive. And that proof. is
2: such a key Snape moment that everyone always forgets.
1: That's a huge Snape moment. He really literally goes out on a limb. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Everyone is always like, you know. Oh, everyone always likes Snape because he loves Lily, blah, blah, blah. But no, Snape is awesome because of moments like this one. He literally sacrifices himself to prove it at this moment. Snape this- has
3: some redeeming qualities, but he still has this weird obsessive love for a woman who never loved him in that way. And after a couple of years, true. didn't even like him as a friend. And also, <laughs> he kept it up for decades and... If I was a Lily and that happened to me, I wouldn't think, oh, how cute. I would think, mm, do we have a
1: stalking, you know, database? Kevin, have you seen Lily's eyes? You would stalk her too. I would stalk her too. <laughs> Lily's eyes, man. That's that's all, man. That's when just... have we
2: ever seen him stalk her? He doesn't do anything. We never see him act on anything. I think
1: I think you're being, I think, all yeah. all
2: fanon. I think, okay. it's, I think
1: it's all, I think it's fanfic and, I, and a number of other sources that are making it look bad. I did like yeah. that moment, though,
0: when, because I kind of, it. Picked, I picked up on it more just knowing what we know now than before, but that moment where Harry's saying, I know who Death Eater's, I know Death Eater names. I'm going to list them for you right now. And Snape kind of looks at him like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> <laughs> But then he looks away again. And there, there, there is a um, lot of who, me, lovely kind of hint
1: drops in here about Snape. Yeah. And, and try as we might to say, there are so many ways they could have proven it to Fudge. At the end of the day, it serves the story purposes that Fudge just doesn't want to believe.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: he talks about Harry always having these cockamamie stories at the ends of the year, that they're getting more and more ridiculous, all this other crap. Um, it's just not a good thing. And Fudge, he, he turns to leave and then stops and then turns around and gives Harry a thousand galleons. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and he, he says, does it in a really passive-aggressive, horrible way. He's like normally he does it way. in
2: a very British way. Come on,
1: oh, <laughs> please, please illustrate how it's a very British way, Rosie.
2: Just the whole passive-aggressive thing is how we do it. <laughs> it's just us. that's how
1: you give people money. It's like when people win the lottery. It's like, well, we show this on TV, but pff, events we have to do it are, in sorry. a very.
2: We have to do it in the proper way. I mean, he won, therefore he must receive the winnings, even if it's in a bad situation. Everything has to be done in a very formal way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, d- okay. I, d- I just love that. <laughs> there would have been a ceremony, but under the circumstances. Yep. <laughs> it's like, you ruined my party. <laughs> so, yeah, Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, a lot of things happen in the next couple of seconds. Dumbledore again, being the Dumbledore, getting stuff done, he introduces Sirius Black um, to Molly. And this, this, so much in this chapter, I want to say foreshadows the relationships that happen in Book Five, yeah. um, which is really exciting. I mean, Molly is shocked, um, but they agree to work together. Sirius and Snape uneasily agree to work together, and they they shake each other's hand because that pleases Dumbledore. Bad idea! So, shake it, shake it, shake it. Bad one idea, of a buzzer. Yeah, Um, But uh, they uneasily agree to work to each other. Um, The big, most pressing matter is that Arthur Weasley needs to be notified and anybody who can covertly be informed and can be trusted to keep the secret, but spread the word to the people who can keep the secret that Voldemort is back at the ministry need to be told. And so Bill agrees to apparate to Arthur and tell Arthur to tell everybody at the ministry. So, um, Dumbledore, it's very important that he not be seen to interfere, especially after the argument that he just had with Fudge. Um, but still people need to know, and this is something that you gotta admire about Dumbledore, that he is really making this happen. Um, now also, um, Sirius has to be sent away, uh, to go find Remus Lupin, which we asked ages ago, where has Remus been all this time? Um, But Remus needs to be informed that Voldemort has returned, as does Arabella Fig and the old crowd. We know who they are uh, in the next book. Well,
0: hey, this was the... I remember the Fig thing. Arabella Fig, everybody was like,
2: is that his neighbor? Yeah, and it was! And it was!
0: Like, that was was a big... Because, of course, you know, thinking back to this first release... Wasn't it? Was it two or three years before we got the next book? It was. A... Three. Yeah,
2: this was the big gap. This was this the big was the, gap. This is actually yeah. the gap that I joined Mugganet for the first time because I got frustrated wanting more story and there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> <in> the...
0: <laughs> yeah, there was. A, well, yeah, there was definitely a peak in fan fiction around this point. Yeah, but this was the gap. Well,
2: that's because this was the gap that Mugganet fan fiction was actually born in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this is this when is, it was. This is pre-
3: the gap I joined. The first time, so. um, is there still this is fan that, fiction? That's... A lot being. And now,
2: Mm. yeah, fanfic is still written. It's It's not quite as as big as it was. Sadly, come back to fanfic, guys. Um. (laughs) Yeah, you've got fantastic (laughs) beasts
0: coming up. There's so much. That's true. So much on offer. But yeah, no, this was these lines just here one right after the other. Just so many mysteries and exciting things being set up here.
2: Uh huh. So much, and it's happened so quickly. It's ridiculous. So
0: much good payoff to look forward to later. Mm -hmm. in these Um,
1: remaining three years that we have to wait well it's funny because uh arabella fig right we're just like on this name alone people marinated for three years and we're like that has to be mrs fig the neighbor Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and and everybody was like so rewarded but then in the first in the opening chapters of order the phoenix joe did it again with that um that evans kid oh yeah yeah i I, I know you punched up mark evans you know whatever a couple weeks ago dudley um (laughs) And and Joe, like, totally resented that and was like, people are saying that he's related to Harry because of Lily Evans, and it was just the worst name choice ever. And I'm like, really? <laughs> You're not conscious of what you just did? Because you did it with Fig, you did it with, you know, mentioning you, she name-dropped Sirius Black in the first book, for crying out loud. Um, I think she
2: just forgot that she'd given Lily the surname Evans.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, just about these ending moments, Madame Pomfrey is sent to get Winky, which I thought was was you know a good move for Dumbledore, but he 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 has um Madame Pomfrey sent her to the kitchens, and I was thinking he's telling her to get back to work, um, but he's not. It's because Dobby is there, and she should be taken care of by her own kind best. Yeah, apparently, like
0: this past hour, she's just been like sitting in Moody's office, just <laughs> crying. Poor thing. Nobody thought to do anything, so at least they're dealing with that finally.
1: Yeah, um, Snape. Uh, In addition to, you know, putting his arm out there in front of Fudge, now is told, you know what to do, and Snape agrees, and he leaves right after Sirius does. Snape, we know from the the future that he is now going to Voldemort, and he's going to make a convincing argument as to why he did not show up immediately um, with the other Death. But for
2: three years, the fandom was going, what's he going to do? What does he know what to do? What's he doing?
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: He must have had to have, like, prepared, like, a PowerPoint presentation full for, for Voldemort to convince him, like, after that <laughs> length of time and not showing up right away. So, uh-huh. whatever he did, Got it lost. must have been impressive. Got lost.
1: <laughs> um, um, Harry does get a hug from Molly, which is a very motherly hug. Actually, it's heartbreaking to read in the book because it said, as if he had a mother. Um, mm-hmm. He never knew that feeling. Yeah. It was crazy. But... Almost taking you out of this really brilliant motherly moment. In the corner, this is a quote, there was a loud slamming noise. Hermione was standing by the window. She was holding something tight in her hand. And she says, sorry. (laughs) Thus concludes chapter, uh, what is this? (laughs) Thus concludes chapter 36 of Goblet of Fire.
0: All right, so we're going to wrap up this episode with the usual podcast question of the week. This week, we're asking about Rita Skeeter. The question is, noting that Rita Skeeter was present during the entire debate in the hospital wing, if Hermione had not caught her, what actions would Rita have taken following the evening? What side of the story would she report to the Wizarding World? Would she side with the Ministry and continue to slander Dumbledore and Harry? Or... Would she make the career-changing move to publish the story behind The Return of Voldemort for top dollar sales? How would the Wizarding World as a whole change from her actions? So head to the main Alohomora site to answer that podcast question of the week. Let us know what you think Rita would do. What would Rita do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Those bracelets available now on the, <laughs> <laughs> the store. <laughs> Along with Fumbleduffer t-shirts. <laughs>
2: And all that remains to be done is to thank our guest for the week. Thank you so much, Kevin. We hope that you've enjoyed your time on the show.
3: Uh, this has been simply and utterly phenomenal and superlative and the highest.
1: That was beautiful.
0: Wow. We can't
2: say anything better than that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> highest compliments. Thank you so much. If you would like to have a superlative experience, <laughs> uh, as Kevin did on our show, you should head over to our website, which is alohomora.mugglenet.com, and check out the Be on the Show page, which has all of the information that you need. Uh, certain requirements are set in stone. Non-negotiable, you need some headphones and other stuff, all detailed on that webpage. Alochmore.muggle.com slash or check click on be on the show.
0: Well, unlike the Minister of Magic, we are a lot easier to communicate with, and we have a lot of different <laughs> <laughs> and we have a lot of different ways to be reached. None by owl, but uh, our Twitter handle is at Alohimora MN, where you can tweet us. You can also talk to us on Facebook, facebook.com open the Dumbledore. We now have a Tumblr account, MN Alohimora Podcast. Our phone number, 206 GO Albus, in number form, that is 206 462 5287, where you can. Call us and leave us a message. You can subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, if you so please, and let us know how we're doing. We also now have a Snapchat, so please follow us on Snapchat at MN underscore Alohomora, where uh, our recent guest, Michael Platko, does some amazing Snapchats for all of our chapters. He's amazing. He's mind-blowing with his artwork. And uh, lastly, we have an audio boo, as you've heard on the show today, where you can leave us a message directly on alohomora.mugglenet.com, and it could be played on the show. It's free, and all you need is a microphone, so make sure and get in touch with us since the ministry isn't answering your owls.
2: <laughs> I actually saw earlier that our audio boo has had over 130,000 listens. Um, so all of your messages, even if they don't get shown on the show, we, we approve them and they go onto our audio booth for you guys to listen to. So make sure you check those out as well.
0: Wow. And we do listen to them. Even if you're not sending them to us. We listen to them and we love them all.
2: We do. Um, and don't forget our store as well, where you can buy all of our fantastic t-shirts, including perhaps a fumbled upper one, (laughs) um, (laughs) which have short and long sleeves, um, we have tote bags, sweatshirts, flip-flops, water bottles, travel mugs, and much more coming soon. There are over 80 products to choose from, um, and we also have ringtones of our theme tune, which are free and available on the website.
1: There is also the Mora app. It is available seemingly worldwide. Prices vary. On that application, you can find transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, Uh, but yes, Michael, we look forward to seeing what you surprise us with, uh, this week on the Aloha Mora app special content. (laughs) But for now, we are all going to go take our sleeping draughts,
0: especially Rosie, because it's late where she is. Um, It is. so how late is it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It, It's coming up to midnight now.
0: (laughs) So time for a good dreamless sleep. Uh, but thank you for listening to this episode of Aloha Mora. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Eric Skull.
2: And I'm Rosie Morris. Thank you for listening to episode 74 of Aloha Mora.
1: Open the Fumble <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like we should explain the fumble other thing because I'm not yeah, entirely we sure actually... that we said it in the episode. <laughs>
1: yeah, we didn't actually say. <laughs> I got I got the recording of it. Um, I can play that at the end. Oh, I you should. Send that that'll to... be our little blooper. Okay. okay, Eric, well, how did
0: you type these notes on? <laughs>
1: Oh, God, don't read them, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was Dumbledore, and it was like Fumbledore.
1: Fumbledore. <laughs> fumbledore. Um, I began having to go through the book on audiobook, and just while various, while I was in my travels today, and write my notes down that way. Mm. Perhaps, it's, perhaps it's better this way, but... Um.
2: It's all right. It just looks like you wrote it in Welsh or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, Rosie, I wrote it in Welsh. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell everybody, and then I'll look that much cooler.
2: I like Hafred. Can he just be... We'll rename him Hafred from now on.
1: Haffred? Okay. Haffred, yeah. yeah. That's funny.
2: Everything's going to change now, isn't it?